Well, this is a day in London, Ontario, isn't it? We are going to do a number of things on London Live today, but we'll certainly be keeping our eyes and ears on any developments from last night's explosion and the aftermath that has come with it. We have a lot of Londoners who have been evacuated from their homes. There is still an investigation ongoing, so please do not think it's a good time to go down and take a look at 450 Woodman Avenue. You won't get near to it, nor should you. This is an ongoing, active investigation. We're going to speak with people who were right there. We're going to speak with someone in just a couple of minutes who lives beside where the explosion took place. And we're going to find out what he did last night. In a month, in just a minute, you'll be able to go to my Twitter feed at Stubbs980 and you'll take a look at the hands of Chris Patterson and you'll see what he was doing last night has left some injuries. And he played one of the heroic roles last night. There were a few. First responders, Red Cross. We'll talk with members of London Fire, London Police. We will talk with the Red Cross on the show. So, again, we'll we'll bring you as much of this story and, and some of how it has played out and how it is affecting people in our community and what other members of our community are doing in the wake of this explosion. Mayor Holder said it this morning on the Craig Needles show, this is a tragedy, it is. And the scariest part is, it could have been so much worse to have an explosion in a home caused by, it appears, a car crashing into the home and, and having gas fill the area. To have that happen and not have anyone killed, that's, uh, that, I don't know, I don't even know what we do. Uh, I don't know, I don't know who we think, but it doesn't mean that people aren't affected. It doesn't mean that lives have not been changed. And so we will continue to focus on this story. But I want to bring in Chris Patterson because Chris last night was probably enjoying a regular old night. And then things turned into anything but. Please welcome to London Live, Chris Patterson, whose house is right beside the explosion at 450 Woodman Avenue. Chris, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Take us back to last night. What were you doing at, say, 10 p.m.? I just got home from work, having a glass of wine with my girlfriend and her cousin, sitting in our living room. Sitting in your living room, nice glass of wine, normal night, pretty usual stuff. And then what? Uh, We heard a very loud uh, bang situation outside, uh, and then we went out to investigate. Now, when you talk about loud bang, sometimes you'll be in that living room setting and you'll hear a loud bang. It might be a firework somewhere. It might be, you know, something else. In your case, how loud was this bang? How different was this from anything you've ever heard before? I was like, it was more of like a sickening thud, and it didn't sound uh, proper. So all three of us got up and ran outside immediately. 
So you run outside, and what is the first thing that you notice? Uh, that there was a car uh, half inside our neighbor's house. So a car half inside your neighbor's house. And to see this, I mean, a lot of people will stop and freeze and, and not know what to do. What did you do? Uh, it wasn't just me. All the neighbors really uh, came together, and we uh, tried to get uh, the lady out of her car. Now, when you see a car into a house, this, and we should, we should outline, everybody keeps talking about the explosion. What you're describing right now, when did all of this take place? Uh, it was before the explosion. So uh, we tried to get the lady out uh, of the car. And uh, by the time we finally got her out, the first responders were there. And they uh, asked us to leave the premises uh, and get away because uh, we could smell gas at that point. And had you noticed that even before you were asked to leave the area? Uh, yeah, that's why we were trying to get the lady out of the car. You could almost smell it instantly then? Uh, yeah. We are talking with Chris Patterson, who ran outside last night, looked at his neighbor's home, and a car had driven into that home. And as Chris says... You could smell natural gas. First responders, must they must have responded quickly. Uh, they were there, and they were on point. They did an absolutely fantastic job. And um, I've uh, just been listening to the news, and so I'd like to wish a speedy recovery for the one guy that hasn't gotten out yet. Uh, I believe he's a firefighter. But I did see uh, two uh, police officers get carted off as well, and... It just sucks, the shitty thing to be a part of. So in in getting this woman out of the car, can you tell us anything about that particular moment? How how difficult was that to do? Uh, it, it was quite hard. I uh, used a brick from the house to shatter a window. Um, but it was, it, it was extremely hard to get her out of the car. In the end, though, you were able to do that? Uh, not just me. Uh, there was, uh, all our neighbors were involved as well, um, and we tried to, you know, just choose the right course of action. Tell us a little bit about the time after the explosion. Where were you when that happened? Um, I was a couple doors down. Uh, like I said, the, the first responders on the scene um, assessed it well and asked us to get out of there. We were probably three or four doors down when everything, uh, when the big explosion happened. Um, yeah, it was it was wild. It was like something out of a, a movie. Uh, the explosion went wildly high in the air and it rained down fire on us, so everyone... Uh, took off at that point and uh, tried to take sanctuary where you could. Uh, a lot of the people opened up their homes that were down farther in the street so we could uh, avoid the uh, fire rainstorm that was happening. At that point, were there a lot of people outside their homes? Uh, yes. Yes, there were, because everyone uh, tried to help out when they could. That seems to be a real theme in all of this. You helped, other people helped, you received help. Looking back at 
that element of of what the community can do in a situation that can be scary and and even tragic and you know we could throw so many words at it what are your feelings like now thinking about all of the things that happened i mean it's honestly obviously it's a very tragic incident i personally like i work at powerhouse right around the corner but a lot of the people uh that are on woodman out also work in businesses that are right there and we want our community to stay strong and that's why we help out everyone when these bad situations happen. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about what today has been like? Uh, well, I got up without a cell phone, without a wallet. I've been trying to run around and uh, try to get my life back on track a little bit, but I went into work. And uh, everyone there has been uh, very supportive. Um, we can't get into our uh, house, obviously. But uh, the, the police that were on scene were uh, very kind to us when we went up. We obviously couldn't get in there, but they took pictures and showed us, which they were kind of tough to see, but... At the same time, they were nice enough to do that for us. So, so they took pictures of your house. Did you, knowing that there had been a big explosion, seeing what you saw, did you even want to take a look at, at how your house was? Uh, it's a, a yes and no situation. Um, you want to see if you just do assess the damage, but uh, no, uh, it's me and my girl. It was me and my girlfriend. Uh, First home uh, for both of us, and uh, it's sad to see it uh, go. I did see the aerial shots, which were not not pleasing, but uh, it is what it is, and we're gonna, you know, pick up the pieces and move on. We're talking house and vehicles. How are your vehicles? Uh, <laughs> the vehicles uh, we couldn't see in the aerial shot, but uh, judging by the fact that we. <laughs> We couldn't uh, see them. Uh, probably not a good, not a good situation there. And yet, you went into work today. Ah, someone's got to make the beer at Powerhouse. <laughs> that's a, that's an outlook right there that I don't think anybody quite expected. But you you go into work today. You mentioned running around trying to piece your your life together. It, when you when you left the house, obviously you were going out to help. You weren't thinking about. Wait a minute, we we might not be able to get back in, were you? Uh, not at all. Uh, didn't really see that happen. And now, have you been told anything about any of your belongings, or whether anybody can go in and and see if they can retrieve something, or is that not even a possibility right now? No, it's not a possibility right now. Uh, we are lucky enough to be in a situation where I uh, my parents are from London. And so I'm going to stay at their place. But, uh, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers go out for the other people on Woodman Ave that can't get in and don't have, uh, you know, that support system in London. Well, Chris, thank you for what you did last night and in going right to the scene. And we wish you all the best. You let us know if we can do anything, all right? Thank you very much, Doug. Okay. Thanks so much for, for telling the story to us. No problem. Have a good day. All right. Be well. That is Chris Patterson. If you're just joining us on London Live, Chris lives beside 
the house that ultimately exploded, the where the explosion took place. So if you're just joining us, he was in his living room, as a lot of people were last night at around 10 o'clock, just after 10 o'clock. And in his case, he hears a bang. Now, this is, is he, he described it as more of a thud. This is not the explosion that everybody has talked about feeling. That even people who live in the downtown core, you think about how far that is away. People in the downtown felt the explosion. But the first thing Chris heard was the thud of what was a vehicle striking his neighbor's house. So you go outside, you wait to see, you know, whether, whether is, is, is everybody in the house okay? Um, it turns out the neighbors were not there. And then you have the person in the car, and you heard Chris describe it. He had to find a brick, break the window. There were other people there to get the woman who was in the car out of the car and get her into a safe spot. Immediately, you're smelling natural gas. First responders arrive, and they tell everybody to get out of the area. And we're going to talk this hour, actually, in about... 20 minutes from now, even less, 15 minutes from now on London Live with Rick Robson. And we're going to go through the training of a first responder and what they are taught to do. And it's a a difficult situation because your brain and your heart are telling you, okay, this is what I've got to do. And then your training is kind of being that little voice on your shoulder. And Rick will outline exactly how all of that plays out. And in this case, you had first responders who were in harm's way, you ended up having first responders who were taken to hospital, four firefighters, two police officers, and one resident as well. And the way we understand it, three firefighters have been released from hospital. One remains in hospital. But the training is something that tells you, here's what you've got to do. And then you see a situation, you think, yeah, but. So that comes up in about 15 minutes. Up next on London Live, we'll talk with someone who is helping to facilitate finding places for people who can't be in their homes right now to go. If you have any reaction to what took place last night, the phone lines will be open throughout the show, 519-643-2222. But we'll continue to follow the situation, and we will continue to bring you stories. Again, don't head down to that situation. We'll do our best to bring you as many of the stories and certainly all of the information that we can from what took place last night at 450 Woodman Avenue in London, Ontario. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Again, in a few minutes, we're going to really salute the first responders in this area, some who are on scene right now dealing with a situation that doesn't come up very often. I want to thank Chris Patterson for joining us. He lives right beside the explosion that took place last night. And, you know, it's one of those things where you want to do something. But what do you do? Chris has seen pictures of his home, and it looks like he's lost the first house that he and his girlfriend have owned. And their vehicles, and they can't get back in to get their phone. We'll talk about this later, but a lot of people will set up a box or 
have something nearby where you say, okay, if there's a fire, if there is something that happens and we have to get out of the house quickly, here's what we grab. And as Chris outlined and other people have outlined, people did not have that opportunity. You know, at first there wasn't an explosion. And so you get out into the street and then all of a sudden you're told you got to get out of here and they run down the street. There is an explosion and then you're not going back into your home. And that's the case for a lot of people right now. They have been evacuated from their homes and a lot of them have been at the Boyle Community Center, which is not too far away. And we had a chance to go to the Boyle Community Center earlier today and talk with Sandra Dater's beer. Sandra is the Managing Director of Housing, Social Services, and Dearness Home at the City of London. And we asked Sandra to talk to us about the people who have come to the Boyle Community Center and and kind of what she's heard from them and and how they are right now. It, it's certainly, um, it's very sad, although uh, remarkably um, unbelievable that nobody was really injured. So I think people are both concerned but relieved. Um, they're thankful for an opportunity to be brought together, at least to be supported at this point in time, and we're trying to do that as best as we can. So what do you tell them? What we tell them at this point in time is that um, we're here to gather some information from them that will try to keep them supported as best as possible. We don't have a lot of information about what their situation is. Many of these people have been evacuated from their homes. Their homes might not be exactly in the fire area, but they've been asked to leave, so they're coming here for at least a place to sit and have something to drink and eat until such time as they know about what happens and whether they can go home. How many people are we talking about? You know what, Mike, at this point in time, I can't give you a sense about that. Just looking around here right Right now, even at the Boyle Centre, we've got, let's say, 30, 35 people. We accommodated about 30 people last night. So I'm, I'm thinking we're getting somewhere close around 60, 70 people, uh, family members, those kind of things. Um, there may be more people coming, uh, and so maybe we'll be somewhere closer to 80 or 90. We're not sure about that yet, though. With something like this, is not something you can predict. No. It's not the, something you can plan for, but... Does this ever come up in meetings? Was there because everything seemed to come together and you look around and everything's very organized. Is this something that definitely there was a protocol that everybody just went, okay, point to this, this is what we do? We have an absolute protocol on any size of emergency. Uh, we are very well trained on this, um, both from the city, but also it's not just the city staff and city um, uh, fire police, uh, social services, uh, neighborhood. It's also uh, roads. Uh, environmental services, uh, even our treasury, even many places in the city, we're all trained on this. Uh, and then we have great community partners. Uh, we hold mock sessions. We hold uh, evacuation center sessions all the time. It's been an especially busy summer for us. We've had eight or nine of these uh, scenarios where we've set up a reception center already. Um, so um, regrettably, we are getting um, well practiced in it um, we wouldn't want to have to be this practiced in it but we're happy to do this because people are um, they respond really well and they really need it is there a ringtone that goes off for everybody involved <laughs> in the city that says you know what here it is we're on call we, uh, we have a large group of people who are on call uh, and uh, and even those if we're not on call you're kind of still on call so at this point in time we're all this is a this is all hands on deck today so that's kind of the reality of the situation 
mentioned this isn't the first one. What no. sorts of things are we talking uh, about? Floods, fires, um, displacements because of accidents, uh, mostly fires um, or, or water situations in, in uh, residential situations. So that's, that's mostly what we see. Um, and in that case, um, we have help from the reception center from Red Cross. We also uh, look to our colleagues at Salvation Army to help us as well. So um, we're really supported by our community partners. The, the local um, inter-community health center also helps us, public health, uh, those agencies as well. So That is Sandra Dater's beer. Is Sandra's the managing director of housing, social services, and the Dearness Home with the City of London. So a little of of how they deal with a situation like this, and that's exactly what they're doing, the situation being the explosion last night. We should mention that police did arrest the female driver for suspected impaired driving, and now we're seeing charges and, and things like that. So we'll get you updated on that in just a moment with Jacqueline LaBelle. And then I want to focus on first responders and, and their training because I think, you know, we'll never get into the shoes or boots of a first responder, but there are some things that I think we've got to understand about the job that they do. And we'll get into that next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. A note from Andy saying, I'm both sad and angry that one terrible decision by one person has affected the lives of so many. We have an individual from Kitchener, young person, early 20s, was arrested immediately on suspicion of impaired driving. Charges have now been laid, as you just heard from Jacqueline LaBelle. Yeah, I mean... She didn't get into her vehicle knowing that was going to happen. And this, you hate to outline it in this way because I don't mean to diminish this in any way. This could have been so much worse. What if that house that her vehicle ran into, that she drove into, what if that had a family of four asleep? You know, that that's the kind of thing you have to think of. So... You know, anytime anyone and I we could get into the impaired driving conversation, and I'm sure at some point that will come up. But I still I don't understand the statistics that we see and to see the frustration of individuals who are involved on a policing level, because a lot of them will just I they don't know what to say. Don't drink and drive. That message has been there. And, you know, this person was charged with, or is is now charged, and the charges deal with impaired driving. So we'll leave it at impaired driving. This, this is not directly focused at this situation. But if you're going to learn anything out of any situation, it has to be, why why would you ever... Get into a vehicle. Well, you know, because people think of this, people who drink and drive, think of it from a selfish perspective. They think, if I get behind the wheel and I've had too many, yeah, I might get caught. And that's their first concern, right? Uh, I'm good buddies with all of the police officers. I'll be fine. 
attitudes like that come out. The statistics back it up. People still drink and drive at an unreal rate. How has this not gone away completely? So now you can look and say, yeah, don't have that selfish perspective if you are out and you are consuming alcohol or you are consuming cannabis products or however you want to phrase it. This isn't just about you getting caught. This isn't just about what it would take for you to get these charges dealt with. This is about, hey, this can affect a whole lot more. This could have affected a family or a couple or a person or whoever lives in that house. In a way, it has. It didn't take their life. But that's the kind of thing you got to think about. Let's say hi to Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. Oh, hi there. Well, it was quite a terrible thing, and I don't know why. When it's hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered into people's heads not to drink and drive, why the heck do they do it? That whole neighborhood, and they just, Woodman Ave is just over a block from where I grew up, Quebec Street. That whole neighborhood could have been wiped right out. The whole neighborhood sure has been affected right now. There are a lot of people spending the day not in their homes or not where they thought they would be. And, Marilyn, I'm with you. I, I don't understand. It has been hammered and hammered and hammered, and it doesn't come around. It's, it's a discussion that I'm sure we'll have on a later day. Thanks for, for the call today. You're welcome, dear. Bye-bye. Let's talk about first responders. In a moment, we will talk with Rick Robson. And we'll talk about training that police officers go through, because I think it, it's really important to find something out if you don't already know it. That's next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We're going to spend some time before news talking about first responders, because I'm a big fan, always have been. And I think it's important to know a few things. And we're going to get into how the training works for first responders. Because there's kind of a line in training that takes you away from what you want to do. And you have to you have to kind of look at things differently than than your brain automatically does. Those little snap decisions. Chris Patterson talked about going out into the street last night after hearing a thud. This is before the explosion because he lives beside where the explosion took place. So a little thud, and it was a car going into his neighbor's house. That's what they saw. And everybody else is in the neighborhood taking a look at that. And what was their first reaction? They may have smelled natural gas right away. Their first reaction was not, we got to run. Their first reaction was, we have somebody in that car, we have to get them out. And if you go to my Twitter feed right now, at Stubbs980, you can take a look at Chris's hands and you can see how difficult it was to extricate the woman from the car. And Chris is the kind of guy who is going to give credit where credit is due. He's not a guy looking to take credit. As he said, there were a lot of people who were helping to get this woman out. So people were not running away from a situation. 
You see somebody in need, you go and help. And that's one of the big themes that will continue to come out of this particular story. The number of businesses that have stepped up already and have said, we want to help create an emergency fund. We want to help out individuals. We're going to hear from somebody just after 2 o'clock who, in kind of the middle of the night, had to say, you know what? We have a store that we have access to. People don't have anywhere to go. We could bring them into the store. And that's what they did. And we'll talk about that particular situation. And this is somebody else who, again, is in that neighborhood. It's a great neighborhood. It really is. If you want to picture where it is, it's kind of right across from Western Fair if you are on Dundas. And it's it's right before you hit McCarty Vacuum. So it's, it's the street before there. And it, it's kind of back in there. Again, don't go there to see it. This is not something to go and see. We'll do our best to continue to tell you what's happening and and let you know how you can help if that is something that you want to do. But the number of businesses that have stepped up, it has been remarkable. It's been amazing. Joining us right now is the president of the London Professional Firefighters Association, Jason Timlek. Jason, thanks so much for taking a couple of minutes out of what's probably, uh, well, a continuing busy day. Have Have you been to bed? Uh, no, it's, it's been a busy day, but, uh, it's, it is what it is, but, uh, I appreciate you giving me the time. What sorts of things do firefighters have to be prepared for going into a situation that maybe had as many unknowns as last night's did? Well, that's what we train for. It's, it's why we get into the profession of firefighting. It's, um, no call is routine, um, everything and anything is possible. That's why we work very hard uh, to become firefighters. And then once we become firefighters, we, the training just never stops. So you do it ongoing 24-7 throughout your career, knowing that um, these risks are part of the job. How do you come to terms with that? Because it's one thing as a five-year-old to go, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a firefighter. Because at that point, it looks exciting, and it looks like one of those jobs that, that has great meaning to it. But eventually, you do have to come to term with the risks, with the dangers. How do you do that? Well, if, uh, I don't have an answer for you. I don't think there's an easy answer for that. And it's not just the firefighter that has to come, come to terms with it. It's our families. Um, it's just the ongoing, um, stress that the profession deals with and our families deal with. And, uh, you ask a question that doesn't have an answer. Well, then I won't ask that question again. We're talking with Jason Timlike. Jason is the president of the London Professional Firefighters Association. Jason, as far as, as firefighters who were on scene last night go, how, how do you talk to them about what happened? What, what comes out of this that becomes useful for everybody? Well, any incident that you go to, especially the more extraordinary, extreme ones like what happened last night, we will utilize as uh, learning experiences and utilize it for training opportunities moving forward, not only just in London, but on a provincial, uh, national, or international. Uh, it will be looked at as a training opportunity um, for all everybody within the profession. Um, that's basically how we will move forward with uh with that, and then the individuals that were 
on scene that dealt with the incident and who are still on scene dealing with the incident, um, they obviously will get uh, supports through the department and their association, uh, hopefully, and their families uh, on the stress that they're dealing with. Finally, what do you have to say about people who were on scene last night? The firefighters? Mm hmm. I, I, I just, it, it's extraordinary. Like, I mean, uh, I've been doing this for 20 years now. I work with amazing people that are dedicated to the community of London day in, day out, 24 7, every second of every day. And uh, it's just, you know, uh, my, 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 well wishes are with the families of everybody, uh, the firefighters, and uh, I thank them. Jason, thank you for taking some time for us. I know it's been a busy day, and, and it'll continue to be that way. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the time. Take care. You too. Bye. That is Jason Timlock, president of the London Professional Firefighters Association. We've talked about training. Jason hinted at it. We'll get to that next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So what does first responder training say to do when you find yourself on a situation like last night where you have a vehicle that is driven into a home, you have natural gas, ultimately there's an explosion? Joining us right now is the executive director of the London Police Association, Rick Robson. Rick, maybe you can take us through what the training of an officer has them ready to do. The first priority is safety, obviously, and as a first responder, we also are trained to recognize that instincts may drive you to safety of others. However, if you're not safe and if you're not taken care of, not only are you no help to the situation, but now you're actually adding to the situation because now someone has to worry about your own personal safety. So first and foremost, officers have to recognize their own personal safety. And I think the reality is, and what you seen last night, um, sometimes that's not what holds true to reality that officers and, and firefighters and, and um, paramedics put them in harm's way uh, and their own safety takes a back seat. So initially, clearly um, a very, very difficult situation to train for or expect. There would be such chaos there. But of course, the core focus of the training would come revert back to uh, make sure we're safe, make sure the first responders on scene that have to have a job to do are safe, and of course make sure everyone, citizens of London that are in this area are safe. So that would be key. When things are as unpredictable as last night's situation presented, it, is there additional training for unpredictable situations, or do you just try and, and read the situation and, as you say, keep all of that training in mind? Yeah, of course it's always a case-by-case basis, and, and we do go through scenarios where you know, the, the old tagline, expect the unexpected. We are constantly present about that. If, if just because there's one particular scenario in front of you that looks like a, you know, a, a relatively innocuous situation, perhaps it's not. And just because there is one situation in here that needs your attention that you have to deal with, it doesn't mean that there couldn't be a secondary situation that could also even be potentially more dangerous, and, and you have to keep that in mind. You have to keep your wits about you at all time. And and this is, is you know, it would be extremely difficult to try and train for this scenario. So what you keep are the basics, and what you keep in mind is what you are applied training that may not be exactly like this scenario, but in other instances, keep that training forefront and, and do what you normally react and would respond to in a, in a different scenario. 
We're talking with Rick Robson, Executive Director of the London Police Association, just kind of getting some background on things like training for police officers. It would be one thing to say, okay, we've got a designated team, and in some situations you can have that. In something like this, is there a designated team that gets a call, or is this something that anyone and everyone has to be able to handle? Yeah, there'd be no designated team in terms of this type of response, given what the circumstances that were presented. I, I think there may have been some exploration, and I don't have all the details, but there, if there was some concern at first that this could be, we knew there was an explosion. Uh, obviously, uh, a house exploded in, uh, in the middle of the evening here, and the cause of that would obviously be now, what are we dealing with? Are there going to be more explosions? Is there something that causes? Was something detonated? Is there is some type of you know illicit drug lab involved here where there's going to be danger posed by now chemicals, dangerous chemicals burning? So I think that needs to be assessed. Short of that, where there needs to be some specialization in terms of how do we deal with those types of scenarios, it would be our frontline officers, our uniform division, boots on the ground, which is... Not unusual. They are our first response. They're the ones that are out there day in, day out, and they deal with anything and everything that comes their way at, at first response. So I think it may have been, there may have been a, a short period where there was some indication or exploration as to do we need specialists, and probably in short order recognizing that uh, this was going to be our front line again handling the situation. There is a perimeter around the area. There are areas blocked off in and around 450 Woodman Avenue. But is there anything that we can tell the general public right now? This is obviously something that will draw attention. People will want to go and see. People will be concerned. What do you tell people about that area right now? I get that. It's human nature. And I think the best thing that people can do is let folks like you and, uh, and others do their jobs and send that news outward. Going down to the area does not help. There has to be traffic control. There has to be security, obviously. There's people that live in that area that may have some need to be that area, that area. So if we just congest that area with more people, more bodies, more vehicles, it's just going to get in the way of what the first responders have to do. It's going to get in the way of all other services that are trying to assist the people in that neighborhood. It's going to get in the way of you know, the media trying to do what they need to do, and, and that's why you're there, to give us the information. So we don't have to go down there and stand there and get in the way and see what's, what's happening for ourselves. So the best advice is just let everybody do their jobs, and if you don't need to be in that area, and if you can avoid that area, by all means do. And probably keep your eyes and ears open for, there'll be calls likely for, help in terms of helping the, the people to relocate back to their homes or house them in the, mean, in the meantime or calls for things that they may need that they're not going to be able to replace, such as clothing and food and short-term shelter and those types of things. So just keep your eyes and ears open for that kind of thing. Rick, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Rick Robson, Executive Director of the London Police Association. Our coverage of this story and other stories continues after news, which is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up in about 35 minutes, we're going to be joined by Logan Couture of the San Jose Sharks. Logan has a charity casino event tonight, so if you are downtown around Centennial Hall around 6 o'clock and you see a lot of people wearing tuxedos, 
and very nice dresses, you shouldn't look and go, Who's getting married on a Wednesday night? I can't believe how many people are in tuxedos on a Wednesday night. Actually, it's Thursday today, isn't it? Who's getting married on a Thursday night? It's the same thing. Nobody's getting married on a Thursday night. Uh, Logan Couture is actually raising money for something that he has really started to champion, and that is research into head injuries. And this is now the third annual charity casino in London. And so we will talk with Logan about that, but we'll also look back to what was a pretty wild year in the National Hockey League for Logan Couture and the San Jose Sharks. All of those goals he scored in the playoffs. He had a career-high 70 points. The Sharks came just that close to beating the eventual champion St. Louis Blues. That happens. Who knows? And we are also going to talk just about this area because you look at from the London Knights to Londoners, the success that the hockey world has, you can do it in the football world too. You can just do it in the world, I think. This area produces. This area produces great people. And that's something we've been focusing on so far throughout the program. We've been talking about first responders who dealt with last night's explosion in the city that so many people felt. We talked with Chris Patterson. If you didn't hear the interview, you'll be able to hear it on the podcast later at 980cfpl.ca. He lives beside the house that exploded. And he was one of the people who helped to get the woman who drove her car into a house out of her vehicle, and ultimately, let's face it, saved her life. Now, that person has been charged with four counts of impaired operation causing bodily harm and impaired operation with a blood alcohol concentration above the legal limit. The person charged, 23 years old, from Kitchener. So that story will still play itself out. What was she doing in London? There was a concert last night. Did that have part of it? You know, how, how did her blood alcohol level get to where it was? So a lot still to come out of that. And there is an investigation ongoing now. Please, as Rick Robson had said, don't head over to Woodman Avenue to see exactly what's going on. Because police are doing a very good job right now. And they have kind of a a perimeter, for lack of a better word, set up where you've got officers at different points and they're trying to keep people away so that they can do the investigation that needs to be done. So don't head there. We do have more stories. We do have more information coming. And if anything new comes up, we will certainly bring that to you. But I want to talk about someone who was living right near the explosion last night who then looked around and said, you know, we could probably help some people out because... Nobody can go home. It's getting to be the middle of the night. Uh, yeah, I I could make something happen here. Uh, Jamie Jack joins us on London Live, and Jamie's home is kind of a backyard that backs onto right where the explosion took place, if I'm understanding that right. Jamie, thanks for being here on London Live. I guess, first off, can you tell us where you and your husband were then and, and where you are now? Um, so right now we're at the Boyle Community Center. Um, we just registered with Red Cross, 
Um, and then the city of London is here. So they're working together to situate everybody where they, like, where they need to be. I run, um, a store that my family owns and, um, we, we stayed there during the night with, um, our cat, two other cats, a dog and 15 other people. <laughs> and how, how big <laughs> is the store? Um, it's pretty big. I think it's about 1100 square feet. Um, I I said to them, I was like, uh, it's warm in there. It's probably not going to be comfortable, but you'll be safe. Um, there wasn't any hydro. The hydro pretty much in that whole plaza was out, but um, at least there was somewhere where we could all stay. Given what happened last night, did you just stay up all night talking? Did anybody try and get some sleep? Um, so there was a few people that got some sleep. Um, my husband, I think, got maybe like an hour or so Um but he's pretty much been up since, like, 3 a.m. yesterday morning. Wow. Now, take yeah. us back to last night and and how that kind of began for you. Uh, so I found out, as, like, from, like, as soon as the explosion went, um, I was getting, I was just about getting into bed, and I just heard it, um, and I didn't know what it was. I started screaming and yelling for Mike to wake up. Um, and then we looked out our window, and it was just all orange out there. And then um, I I looked at their house, and I was like, their house is gone. And I was like, I didn't know that there was a car accident before, so I just thought, like, oh, my gosh, that family is in that house, and they're not there anymore. Like, that's the first thing that, that went through my mind. Um, so where do you but, live in relation to the house? Uh, so uh, their backyard backs up to my neighbor's backyard, so I can see I could see their house from from my kitchen. Was your house damaged in any way? Um, yeah, so we have a sun porch, um, and those uh, the windows in it blew. Um, some glass. Like, it's really so random, like. As far as I know, the windows were okay, but some glasses on the counter broke. Um, basically, like, part of their house is in our backyard. Um, I was scared to turn the lights on, so I didn't really, like, fully look around to see what was going on. Um, and then I I fully didn't even understand what was going on until, like, we got outside and we're talking to people, too. And then what were people saying? What were people doing at that point? Was it, was it a chaotic feel or, or was everybody? Yeah, it was, it was chaotic and, and worry because you don't know where those people whose houses are on fire are and you don't know if they're safe and you don't know what's going on and, and you don't know like, like if the gas leak has been contained and then, um, we didn't know what he really knew where to go. Um, cause it's like the middle of the night too. Um, people are like in their pajamas. Uh, people don't have even like one guy didn't have sh- like shoes. Some people didn't have their wallets or their phones cause they just literally ran out of their house. What were you able to bring with you? What are you missing right now? Um, so I'm not really missing anything. Um, I, so we grabbed our cat um, in her cat carrier, and then I grabbed... Luckily, we keep all our, like, personal important documents together. So I literally, like, scooped them up and threw them in a bag, and then that's, like, basically what we took. Because um, I kind of thought in my head, like, if it comes over here, like, what do we need? And I was like, 
basically, you know, like if if we have these important documents, that's about all we need. And I, Jamie Jack joining us. Jamie last night was alerted to the explosion and now is still not able to go back into her home. In terms of of getting that information, how difficult is it to not know very much? Um, yeah, it's hard. I, I feel really guilty and selfish for saying, like, oh, I want to see what the damage is to my house because there's people who don't have a home anymore. Um, but I would like to kind of go and see, like, what the damage is um, and then just kind of go, go from there to figure out, like, okay, am I going to be out until next week? Or, and, and then, you know, make a plan on, on where to go. Or is it safe to go back in today? Just kind of that stuff. And you haven't heard anything of that sort just yet? Um, so I've heard that um, there's some, like, uh, I don't know what they're called, like uh, building inspectors or whatever. They're going and they're inspecting all the buildings just to make sure that they are safe to go in. Um, and then they're going to take it from there. And how does this leave you feeling today? Um, it's still pretty chaotic. I feel like I haven't really, like, processed it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just terrible. I feel so, so bad for those people who just don't have a home anymore and, like, who don't have that stuff that they cherish, like, in their home and they don't have some of their pets anymore. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for what you did bringing people into the store last night and giving them a place to go and... Here's hoping that you... That's just, I don't know, I just feel like that's just the right thing to do. Like, like we were all in this terrible situation, and and we we have to be there for each other. That is well said. Jamie, thanks for being that kind of a person, and here's (laughs) hoping you get some good news about being able to go back to your home soon. Yeah, thank you. That is Jamie Jack. All in a terrible situation, and again... The thing that's going to come out of this more and more is that situation didn't have to happen. This was not a natural gas line that split. This was not an earthquake. This was someone driving a car into a house. And that's where this stemmed from. And now we've got a person charged with impaired driving. So this didn't have to happen, but it did. One more to talk about what role the Red Cross played, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But as Jamie pointed out, you know, there are so many people who don't have their stuff. We talked with Chris Patterson. He left the house without ever thinking he wouldn't be able to go back into his house. Without ever thinking so many of his belongings would be destroyed. Again, There is a real important task that we can all undertake where you put those things that you ultimately have to have with you. You need to have, you put them in a place that you can grab them in case of emergency because you don't have time to get out. The description of people being out on the streets without shoes last night, it's late at night. You run out of your house, next thing you know, an explosion has you not able to go back into your home. So to have those possessions nearby, that's something that isn't a bad thing to put together. 
because in some cases you do have the ability to take that out. In other cases, you don't. Chris and his girlfriend did not. They went outside and a chain of events led to them not being able to go back to their home and they've seen pictures of their home and there isn't really a home to go back to. Next up, we'll talk with Dave Schiller, who was there last night as part of the Red Cross. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up in about 20 minutes, a little less than 20 minutes, we'll talk with Logan Couture of the San Jose Sharks. We'll talk about his charity casino event tonight. We mentioned it will create a whole lot of tuxedos downtown, right around Centennial Hall. So there will be a lot of people tonight wearing tuxedos. Don't think it's a wedding. It is not. It is a charity casino event, and there is going to be an announcement even before it gets underway, and that announcement is going to detail where the funds raised are going. And and this, and Logan will get into this, but this deals a lot with head injuries in sports, and it's something that is very close to him. He has suffered concussions in the past. And so it's something he wanted to do more with and, and, and help out. And that's exactly what he's done. So that's coming up. As we finish off our conversation for right now, because it won't be the end of the conversation, this is a story that people are talking about at length today and are going to continue to talk about for a very long time. We have an opportunity to talk with Dave Schiller, who was on scene last night as part of the Red Cross. Dave is a site manager in emergency management with the Red Cross. And Dave, it is great to have you with us. Can you tell us where you were when the explosion took place? Um, I was at home just getting ready to retire. And uh, we got the call that uh, there was a... um, an explosion and that uh, we needed to respond. So our dispatch had reached me. We continued to reach uh, other uh, Red Cross uh, volunteers. So six of us went to the site at the Carling Heights Center. Now, living in southwestern Ontario, the idea that there will be an explosion is not something that you're necessarily ready for. What was your first thought when you heard from the dispatch that's what had happened? Well, uh, even before that, my house shook, so I live um, maybe a mile from uh, the fire bla- uh, the blast. I didn't know what it was, so I was uh, pretty surprised that it, that's what it was. Now, the role of the Red Cross in a situation like this, if you're called out shortly after, there is, as we've heard it described, absolute chaos. How do you take part in a situation like that? Well, all the volunteers uh, and staff of uh, emergency management are uh, trained in how to respond in these emergencies, and uh, we, uh, we're ready to go. We pick up our equipment, the things that we need. We have a vehicle. We also have uh, supply uh, bags uh, posted around the city to uh, get to these emergency sites as uh, quickly as possible, and... Uh, be ready to receive uh, beneficiaries. When you got to the site last night, tell us what you saw. Well, there were not a lot of people there, so we were there early. We had uh, time to set up. The city uh, was there, and uh, they coordinated uh, the uh, the setup. 
the Red Cross had an area where we would meet each of the beneficiaries, do a needs assessment to figure out what their needs were, um, and then uh, the city uh, made arrangements for accommodations, lodging at a local hotel, and uh, well, they brought in some uh, some food, and everyone who came in of course got water right away. Sat down, they were quite uh, upset, some of them very somewhat confused and uh, surprised. Some were in bare feet, some were many were in pajamas. So we were able to give out some blankets and um, respond to the people uh, as uh, quickly as we could. So We're talking with Dave Schiller, who is an on-scene site manager and emergency management with the Red Cross. What are people saying at a point like that when they have either come out of their house, left their house because they knew they had to, or they've now been evacuated from their homes? Well, many of them were in shock. Um, they were worried about their possessions. Some of them had, had brought their dogs and cats. Some had uh, uh, the odd pet still in the house hiding. Um, some of them had to go back and get medication. Um, and, uh, of course, the sites were closed because it's dangerous. So the city was making arrangements uh, in the morning to... Uh, um, help those people get access to their possessions, the important ones. The city was providing uh, 48 hours of accommodations locally, so that was the beginning point of our uh, meeting their needs. And, I mean, you bring up a good point. Pets, medication, things that are, are very top of mind for everybody. How does someone hear the news that, well, you can't go back into your house right now. You you can't go and find your pet who is hiding. You can't go and get your medication. How do they react? Right. Well, quite some are quite highly anxious, and uh, we just talk to them and explain uh, why it is not possible to go back because it's not safe. Uh, but there is a plan that they will be able to go back as soon as possible, as soon as the authorities give access. So there may be uh, escorted uh, by the fire department, and uh, the firefighters might go in and pick up A, B, or C in their in their homes. Dave, what is it like to be in a situation like that, filling the role that you do? Well, I, I uh, really... Um, enjoy helping people, and uh, so do all the other volunteers that we work with. So feeling that we're uh, helping the vulnerable, I mean, that's what it's all about, giving back to people. We have uh, a lot of great volunteers. We're always interested in new volunteers coming onto the Red Cross. So the possibility is there for uh, involvement in the public. Just go to redcross.ca and start the process. Dave, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for what you do. Thank you. Well, thanks for calling. Take care. Take care. Dave Schiller. Dave is a site manager in emergency management with the Red Cross. News coming up next. We'll have the latest details on last night's explosion and certainly all of what has happened after it. And then we'll talk with Logan Couture in about 10 minutes from now about tonight's charity casino event and life as a member of the San Jose Sharks and... Just a player in the National Hockey League. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
Well, it's been quite a night and a day. There are people who are just getting to bed sometime in the last few hours who really hadn't been to bed yet. We were talking last hour with the president of the London Professional Firefighters Association, Jason Tim, like he hasn't been to bed. A lot of other people haven't been to bed. And we will continue to provide updates on that situation. It is, it's, it's going to be very difficult after the shock and everything kind of subsides. And then to realize just how preventable this was. That's, that's ultimately what a lot of people are going to be talking about. And it will be a where were you when. The number of people who felt the explosion last night in London, Ontario... It was downtown, it was certainly all around the Dundas and Quebec Street area. I mean, this this is one of those things that you will not forget where you were when you first heard that this had taken place. And once again, thank you to everybody. We've we've been so lucky to be able to speak with Dave Schiller of the Red Cross and Jason Timlek of the London Professional Firefighters Association, Rick Robson, Executive Director of the London Police Association, Jamie Jack, who opened up her parents' store that she runs so that people would have a place to go. It was about 15 people, a dog, and two cats. And they basically spent the night because there was nowhere else to go. Middle of the night and you're told, you can't be here, be somewhere else. Where would you be? Then we talked earlier with Chris Patterson, who said he's lucky he's got parents here who he can stay with. But ultimately, this investigation could go on for a while, and depending on the damage in the area, it could be a long time, if ever, for people who want to get back into their homes. They, they might not be able to ever. And Chris knows he's probably one of those people. Do you have a box of things those keepsakes those or those essential life items, stuff that if you had to replace everything, your wallet, your purse, your passport, your cell phone, if you had to replace everything, can you grab that easily? I mean, that's another thing that comes out of a situation like this. And it doesn't have to be something just like this. In a fire, you do not have very long to get out of a house. What do they say? From the time it starts, two minutes, maybe not even. So if you don't realize it starts for 60 seconds, which isn't a long period of time, might take you 60 seconds to wake up, you got 60 seconds to get out of the house. So what do you do? You can't run around and say, oh, I've got to get that shirt. I'll need to wear that shirt on Friday. That's not part of the conversation. Some people will have a box right nearby or right under the bed or whatever, or keep shoes under the bed. This happened in August. The person who was outside or people who were outside, we know of at least one, without shoes on, it's August. If you change that to October, if you change that to February, that's a different story. All of a sudden, a priority is finding that person footwear. Do you have shoes in your bedroom that you can slip on and go? Because in this case, it wasn't, hey, we're going to, sometimes you hear the stories of wildfires, and you'll hear about people who've had a knock on their door. You have to leave. You have a half hour. In this case, people didn't even have that half hour. Chris Patterson ran outside to help. So did many other neighbors. Next thing you know, they're being told by first responders, you have to get out of here. We've got a situation that 
could wind up being very, very bad. In the end, it was. There was an explosion. We had four firefighters hospitalized. One that we understand is still in hospital. Two police officers hospitalized and one resident hospitalized. So do you do we all take that from from this and and now say okay I've got to make sure I have all of my belongings because I remember a story happening in London Ontario on August the 14th something to think about we'll take a break up next we'll talk about something happening on August the 15th which is today Logan Couture has a charity casino event Logan Couture of the San Jose Sharks London Zone Joins us next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Tonight, we've talked about it a couple of times, there will be a lot of tuxedos in and around Centennial Hall just after 6 o'clock, just before 7 o'clock. Logan Couture is holding a charity casino event, and this is something that we'll get to in just a moment with Logan that will, or is raising money, has raised money in the past, to deal with head injuries in sports. And it's something that is certainly very close to Logan himself. But we have an opportunity to talk some hockey, talk about last year as Logan and the San Jose Sharks went awfully far in the playoffs all the way to the conference finals against the St. Louis Blues, had a wild series against the Vegas Golden Knights. Here he comes. Logan Couture joins us now on London Live. Logan, you're finishing a workout, I believe. There was the old adage, oh, long, long ago, guys used to go to training camp to get into shape. That doesn't sound like your life right now. It, it isn't, no. August is actually the, uh, the month where the craziness begins. And, you know, I started working out a few weeks or a week and a half after the, the season ended, but I didn't go on the ice. Uh, the first time I go on the ice is usually mid-July. I just go out late and shoot some pucks uh, with a few goalies in the area. But uh, August, we start our pro skates, and these are pretty pretty busy. I mean, it's almost like uh, like a training camp, miniature training camp um, here here in the London area. We were skating out in Tomoka uh, for, the, for these past couple of weeks with uh, a great group of uh, pro guys in the area. And how how odd is it that you've got, I mean, very few areas could do this where you could have enough players to put together an entire skate, but for anybody who's able to to catch a glimpse of all of you guys walking in, it's it's a who's who of the hockey world. Yeah, it's a tremendous group, really. I mean, we're lucky that uh, the players A, come back to this area and B, are, are very good players. I mean, you've got uh, Drew and and Corey, um, yesterday we had Greg McCaig and, and Boone Jenner. Um, this, uh, Suzuki kid was out. So, I mean, we've got a lot of, a lot of good talent, Dylan DeMello talent in this area. And, um, it, it makes for great skates for us. All right. Anybody who plays beer league hockey will, as they start to get older, start to see young guys who will just hit the ice and fly around all over the place. And you start thinking, who are these guys? You mentioned Nick Suzuki coming out. Do you get to the point right now where, where you look around and go, whoa, here, here comes some of the, the next blood into the National Hockey League? Yeah, you know, I, I, you feel kind of a, you feel proud that there's there's more players coming from this area that are going to be pros and kind of carry on the or carry the torch for for you know Drew Corey and myself that have been around for a while. Um, there's just that that sense of 
of being from London and being proud that we produce all these uh, all these pro and very good pro hockey players. So uh, you do feel feel good about uh, these young kids coming up. Logan Couture of the San Jose Sharks joining us. Logan is hosting his charity casino event later on tonight. We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. Logan, this past year, you set a career-high 70 points in the playoffs, the pace that you were on scoring. What was this year like compared to other years that you've played? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good year, personally. Um, we, we faltered at, uh, at times at the start of the year. We, we couldn't, couldn't get it going. Um, you know, Eric wasn't comfortable at the start, and he was a big piece of our team, and we figured it out about midway through the year and started to go on a run and uh, kind of carried that into the playoffs. Uh, the playoffs were so much fun and disappointing to to come up uh, come up short to uh, to the team that eventually won it, but uh, just the run that we went on was, was a lot of fun to be a part of. You mentioned Eric Carlson. When a player comes into a new team, you you talk about how it takes a little while for him to adjust. Once he felt comfortable, what's it like playing with a guy who can do what he does? Yeah, he's so good. Um, you know, we're so lucky out there to have Burns and him. Uh, you know, those two guys are playing over forty minutes. They're playing over two thirds of of the game when they're on the ice, and it just makes makes the forwards' job so much easier. You just got to get open. Those two guys can can make plays that not many other players can make, and that's something that. You, you know, being in the west on the west uh, western conference, you don't you only saw Eric twice a year, uh, so you don't really realize how good a player is if you only see him a couple times a year. So seeing him up close this year, um, you know, really appreciate his talent and what he can do with the puck. He sees the ice on uh, on a different level. Um, you know, he makes passes that not many players can make. So uh, a lot of fun playing with him, and just excited that uh, that we're lucky to to have him for the next eight years. When you look at the playoff run that you mentioned, it doesn't seem to matter what series. You can pull something from it that you think, that was unbelievable. The game against Vegas, do you guys talk about that? Do you guys not talk about that? I mean, to have a lead, to have the lead disappear, to win in overtime, there can't be many games in NHL history that have gone that way. No, that, that's a one time game, I believe. Um, no, that series was, was tremendous beginning to, to end. I mean, just the way the, the roller coaster of that series we started winning. Um, game two, we, we were down 3-0 three, three in the first, came back, tied it, and then controversial call in the, the second period cost us. And Games three and four, we got blown out in, in Vegas, and then the comeback from down 3-1 to one to win, you know, double overtime game six, shorthanded in Vegas. And when they had 60 shots on that goalie, and then obviously Game Seven, the the comeback from from down three uh, nothing in the third, um, just an incredible series between two of the, in my personal opinion, the two of the best teams in the league last year, and um, just a great series. How excited do you get to start playing games again right about now? Yeah, this is probably where it hits mid-August. Um, you start to get the itch of, of wanting to get back and. Um, for me, it's just getting back to San Jose and seeing the guys, um, you know, spending time in the locker room and, you know, getting to practice as much as you get sick of practice about two or three months into the, the season. But at this point, you're, you're itching for it and, and wanting it. So uh, this is the point where, where I start to uh, to really miss hockey and, and I want it back. Logan Couture of the San Jose Sharks joining us.
Logan, let's talk about tonight's event. It's already the third annual. It is raising money all in for brain research. This is something that you put together, again, three years ago. But talk to us a little bit about what the intention is and, and how things have worked out so far. Yeah, it's, it's been great. Um, there's a lot of work that's gone into it. And, uh, you know, a lot has changed from the first, first year here in London. But uh, we actually had the second one uh, earlier in July in, in Kitchener, Waterloo. And, um, you know, it was tremendous, a lot of fun. I think everyone that, that comes to these events, they, they always tell me that, that they enjoy it, um, whether it's a celebrity or a fan or family and friends. So, um, Tonight we, we actually have a big announcement that we're going to uh, to do before the event with uh, regarding with where, the, where the funds are going to go to um, that I'm very proud of. So uh, very very excited to uh, to do it again tonight. What was it that again made you want to focus in on brain research? Well, I think um, being an athlete and uh, you know this modern day, there's a lot of head injuries that that occur. Uh, you know, and I, I've seen. Up close, what uh, what can happen to players going through it? Um, you know, even as a as a younger player before I played in the NHL, I suffered a few concussions, and um, you, you don't know. It's it's a big mystery. Uh, so, you know, try to put money towards research and um, you know helping younger kids and their parents to uh, to really learn about head injuries and and try and prevent them and, and recovering from them. Finally, when you're a professional athlete, do you allow yourself to think about the potential of a concussion, or do you try not to think about that? No, you, you can't think about injuries uh, as a player. If you go into games thinking that you're you're possibly getting hurt, that's that's when it happens. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, with the contact sport that we play in the NHL and the speed and, and the size of players, injuries happen. They happen pretty often. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're lucky we have some tremendous doctors and our trainers that uh, that know know what they're doing. Um, so I, I'm more so worried about the, the younger kids that that don't have the uh, the same resources that that we have in the NHL. Well, anyone who wants more information can visit Couture39.com. Logan, thanks for what you do in this community. Thanks for representing it so well. Best of luck with the Sharks this year. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Logan Couture of the San Jose Sharks, all in for brain research, charity casino fundraiser. Proceeds go to support important concussion awareness research. And again, there will be a news conference just after 6 o'clock tonight, as Logan says, and they will announce some of the beneficiaries of the money raised. And then the third annual Celebrity Charity Casino takes place at Centennial Hall. Look for the tuxedos. We'll take a break. One more voice to close out the show today on London Live. That's next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Well, it continues to be quite a day in the city of London where we've seen so many people offer help to all of the Londoners who were affected by last night's explosion. We talked earlier with Chris Patterson, who heard a thud in his living room, ran outside as many of the neighbors along the street had done. And right there on Woodman Avenue, you had a car that had driven into a house. And shortly after that, after they had rescued the individual from the vehicle, 
there was an explosion, and we have had all kinds of people evacuated. Joining us right now, as we close out London Live, is one of those people who was evacuated last night, Tyler Robson. Tyler, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. How's your day going? Uh, I've had better, but uh, it's been really good, considering. When you go back to last night, what are you going to take away from all of the things that happened to you? Uh, I think the biggest thing to take away from it is the sense of community, how fast first responders got there, were there, um, how people just started helping people they didn't even know. That's the biggest thing I think I'll take away from this whole thing. And give us an example of maybe something that you saw that made you think, wow, like that's, that's community. That's, that's somebody doing something for somebody. What was happening? Uh, it was, it was really pandemonium. It was, if you saw somebody that looked like they were hurt, people were just dragging them away from the danger zone. Um, and that goes for civilians and first responders. There was so much going on. Um, it was just, it was wild. It was wild. There's no other way to describe it. You mentioned the wild aspect of the chaos of it. You also mentioned the first responders. How quickly did they seem to be there? I was awoken by the shake. My wife woke me up. Uh, we thought somebody had driven a car into our house. That's how violently our home shook. Uh, I'm right off Quebec Street. I'm, a, I'm about seven houses away from where the explosion took place. Um, I stepped outside and there was debris falling embers falling everywhere and it seemed like first responders were there when i stepped out of my door what were you told when it came time to leave you were outside but how did you know you had to evacuate we went back inside uh we weren't sure what was going on and we had an officer come to our house knock on the door tell us that we had a few minutes to gather some things and we had to leave and that was at about, I don't know, I'd say 12.30 at night. So it was, uh, yeah, the whole thing just seemed to happen so fast. It just, it, it, yeah, it was wild. Tyler Robson is joining us. He was evacuated last night. What do you know right now about when or if you're going to be able to get back into your home? Uh, we are all gathered at a, at a hotel, everybody from the community, and we've had a few kind of updates, but, uh, as of right now, uh, we don't really know anything. We're not sure when we're going to be able to get back into our homes. I just had to go grab some clothes because, I mean, we left with kind of what was on our backs. I mean, my wife's nine months pregnant. We grabbed some stuff for her and made sure she had everything she needed, and other than that, we just kind of left. But that sense of community, you're still feeling it today? Yeah, um, the people have been great. The city of London has been awesome. Uh, Red Cross has been great. Uh, first responders, uh, I, I don't think we can we can thank these people enough. Um, wow. without, without them there, I mean, I don't know how bad it could have gotten. They were there fast. They did what they're supposed to do, and... We all wish the uh, the first responders that are still in the hospital a uh, uh, speedy recovery, for sure. Tyler, we wish you and your wife and your neighbors well as well. Thank you so much for being here today. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Tyler Robson. Evacuated last night. Still unsure when he is going to go back. We'll continue 
with updates of that story. News is next. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.